you reboot the computer, and that's what's gonna that's what's going on in the Day of Atonement. Uh, there's a there, there can be a lot of things that happen that that complicate this tabernacle system of worship as explicated uh, in Leviticus in the book of Leviticus. So the tabernacle needs to be rebooted once a year. It needs to be reconsecrated reconsecrated once a year. It's not it's not just the people that need to be reconsecrated. The whole system, this whole system of how to interact with God needs a reboot because the whole system is is a model it can break down it's temporary uh, so to, to show you this so we know that in in order for uh, in order for to for the tabernacle and the altar to, in order for the the tabernacle to receive a sacrifices it needs it needs to be pure right and therefore if a person is ceremonially ceremonially unclean for touching something, uh, for a, 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 a discharge, uh, for a, a woman's menstruation, um, for eating the wrong animal. That uncleanliness can defile the, the tabernacle, right? But what happens in the middle of the night when you have a lizard or a gecko, an unclean animal, that drops on the altar? kind of goes walking through there, right? Uh, do you think everybody was honest? Do you think uh, nobody had bacon <laughs> by, by themselves and, and entered the tabernacle? Sure they did. And so what are you going to do? The, 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 the whole This whole thing is desecrated. And it invalidates all the sacrifices going forward, right? So that's why you have to reset the system. And so this tabernacle system, God... Uh, intentionally puts these flaws in it. It's intentionally incomplete because it's a model. Um, it, it's good for what it's supposed to do, but it's a flawed model compared to the fulfillment of what the tabernacle will actually be. So as we learn how to reset the tabernacle in the Day of Atonement, uh, we, we will learn how it um, uh, goes forward and we will learn how it points to a better system of relating to God. As uh, we talked about, as uh, uh, Evo said earlier, it's known as the Yom Kippur. It, it, it's the most solemn of all the Old Testament rituals. Uh, in later Jewish tradition, it came to be known as the Day. Uh, and even on today, uh, in Jewish synagogues all over the world, on Yom Kippur, the Leviticus 16 is, is read, is publicly read. Uh, you can only do so much because, uh, you know, you don't have a temple, you don't have a tabernacle, so how can you cleanse the tabernacle or the temple without a tabernacle or a temple? Uh, this is a, a fascinating chapter. I was, you know, for like a, a few seconds in my mind, I was thinking, how can we kind of reenact this? Because you can reenact this, but then I would need to get a goat and get a, or, or a stuffed goat or a stuff, and I said, okay, forget it. Oh, we're just going to go through it. But uh, verses 1 through 10, uh, the verses that uh, Una read, these are kind of a uh, point number one, these are the general instructions for the Day of Atonement. These are the, the general instructions for the Day of Atonement. And um, look, look at verse 1. Notice how it begins. How does it begin? It, be, it begins with uh, uh, verse 1, Yahweh spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. If you remember... Uh, when did we see that reference to the death of the two sons first? You saw it at the beginning of chapter 10, right? Uh, chapter 9 is the first day of tabernacle worship. Moses and Aaron go into the tent of meeting. Aaron offers, after Aaron offers sacrifices. And then in the beginning of chapter 10, uh, Aaron's sons die, right? And they die for giving God strange fire. And so uh, the Day of Atonement, these instructions given to Moses in Leviticus 16, it happens on the same day as uh, the death of Nabat, Nadab and Abihu. And Leviticus 16 is responding to these deaths. Leviticus 16 is resuming the story of the death of Nadab and, and Abihu, that, that began in chapter 10, but there was a pause. 
from chapter 10 until chapter 16, we have a five-chapter pause about clean and unclean laws. And so this structure uh, helps us understand the purpose of the clean and unclean laws. What did, when Nadab and Abihu, when they died offering strange fire in the tabernacle, what did their deaths do to the tabernacle? It defiled the tabernacle, right? Their sin and their dead bodies defiled the tabernacle. And their deaths were powerful examples of the consequences of defiling the tabernacle. And so you those the five chapters from chapter 10 until chapter 16, um, they identify all the other ways somebody could defile the tabernacle. Nadab and Abihu dying, offering strange fire as priests, that definitely, that definitely defiles the tabernacle. But there are other ways to defile the tabernacle. And so you have chapters 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15, right? Uh, what you eat, uh, your childbirth, your private health, uh, your public health, uh, all these ways can defile the tabernacle. So, uh, and yet, it, 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 with, it, 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 this is, again, this is a, an imperfect system. Even with all these clean and unclean laws, you still need chapter 16. You still need one day, oh, once a year, to reboot the system. Because all these unclean laws still are not sufficient for people to access God. Uh, so, chapter 16, it resumes with the death of Aaron's sons that we saw at uh, the beginning of chapter 10. Uh, and it, it shows you that this is how... You defile the temple, but it also, it was a warning to the high priest, right? Uh, high priest, talking to Aaron. Remember your sons? You know how they died? Remember that as I resume des describing the day of atonement. Uh, when you go into the holy place, you better be extremely careful. You better be extreme, extremely cautious. Do not bring me strange fire, or you will die too. And so, in verse 2, Yahweh tells Moses uh, to tell Aaron, tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil. You can't, any, you can't enter into the holy place any time you want. So you know the holy place is where, 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 where it is? It's right here. So once a year, the high priest can go into this holy place, or the Holy of Holies, as some versions say. And say, he says, oh, you can't go anytime you want. Just once a year. And um, it's one day in the year. Let's talk about the role of the high priest a little bit before we continue. Um... Entering the holy place once a year was what the high priesthood was for. That was his unique job description. Because no other priest can enter that, that little space. Only the high priest. So on this day, more than any other day, the high priest would act as a mediator between God and his people. Listen to one Old Testament scholar uh, write about this day and the role of the high priest. He writes this. Admission to the Holy of Holies was barred to everyone except the high priest. And then he could enter it only once a year, on the Day of Atonement, to create a perfect and remarkable coalescence of the most sacred individual, the most sacred of space, the most sacred day of the year, and the most sacred rite. And the most sacred, end quote, and the most sacred spot in the holiest place was what? Where do you think it, in verse 2, where, what was the most, uh, most sacred of, of, of sacred uh, spots in the, in the holy place? Uh, more specifically. 
The what? The ark. The ark, but even more specific than that. Verse 2. The mercy seat. The mercy seat. Very good. The mercy seat. Um, it's described in Exodus 25. The, the mercy seat was this lid. It was a lid for the ark. And you know how, have you seen ever, ever diagrams, pictures of the mercy seat where two cherubs are facing each other on that, on the mercy seat or uh, 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 one on each end of the mercy seat? And it's called the mercy seat because that's where atonement happened. Um, the, the, the Hebrew word is kaparet. Uh, uh, kaparet. Where did you, where did you hear that word before? Kaparet. Yom Kapor. Kaporet. Yom is day. Kapor is atonement. Day of atonement. Kaporet. Uh, atonement seat, literally. What's your version? Atonement kava. No, what's, what, what version do you have? Yeah, so the NIV does it really good. Very, very uh, literal translation. Atonement cover. That's what it literally is. Um, and this on the mercy seat is where atonement was granted. Verses 3 through 6, the high priest prepares the, the offering. And notice in verse 3, it's in very emphatic. God says, uh, Yahweh says to Moses, Aaron shall enter the holy place with this. Make sure you listen to what, what I tell you. Uh, everything depends on the high priest. Um, the, the high priest, he, he represents somebody. Who does, who does he, you think he represents? Who does he represent? If the tabernacle represents the garden and the Garden of Eden, uh, who does the high priest represent? Somebody, somebody more specific. The angel. Oh, the, the angel. Not Adam. Angel. The second Adam. The second Adam. The second Adam, who's returning, right? And so uh, this whole this whole ritual in chapter sixteen is teaching the world this is how the universe is cleansed from sin, right? This is how all of humanity is reco reconciled to a holy God. You need a second Adam who can enter back into the, the very the center of the garden, who can enter into the, uh, the most holy place. And so this ritual of the Day of Atonement, it set the high priest apart from all the other priests. Uh, there's a few, there's at least, uh, let's see, one, four times in Leviticus, he's anointed. The high priest is anointed. And, and, and what's the Hebrew word for anointed? You know? It's Messiah. It's Messiah. So he's, he's literally referred to as the Messiah, the anointed one. And only him, only he can go in to the Holy of Holies once a year. Look at his, look how his, um, his, his, his position is, in, is described in chapter 21, verse 10. Look at chapter 21, uh, verse 10. Uh, uh, Leviticus 21, verse 10. And the priest, who is the highest among his brothers, on whose head the anointing oil has been poured, and who has been ordained to wear the garments. Look at the, this lofty role, he's, uh, the, the language that's describing him. And when the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies, it is literally, it is literally, the nearest to God that anybody has come to since Adam. Nobody has gotten closer. Even Moses, it just says he went into the tent of meeting. It doesn't say Moses went into the Holy of Holies. And so this is an awesome day. This is an awesome day. Uh, once a year, there would be this reminder of Adam walking once again the garden with God. And once a year, in all the world, um, the, 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 the high priest, he, he was defined by this entrance into the holy place. Holy place. When you think of high priest, you think he's the only one in Israel that can go into the holy place, right? The Messiah, the second Adam, 
What is he supposed to bring? Well, he brings a, a bull for the, uh, the, the herd for a sin offering, a ram for a, for a, a burnt offering. These are both for himself. Um, let's do a little count. Let's, let's count how many times chapter 16 says the high priest needs a sin offering for himself. Okay, that's the first time one. Okay, let's just remember that uh, as we go on. Notice verse 4. What's interesting about verse 4? Uh, he shall put on the holy linen tunic, and the linen undergarment shall be next to his body, and he shall be girded with the linen sash and attired with the linen tur turban. These are holy garments. What is, what is kind of interesting about verse 4? What do you notice about these garments, if you remember from uh, uh, earlier chapters in an earlier book. Is that his normal uniform? Let's, let, let's go back to Exodus 39 and look at his normal uniform. Uh, Exodus 39, uh, just Skim, just skim through verses 1 through 21. Just skim through it. You'll be reminded what it was like. Mm. It was like a king. Like a royal. Just like a king. Like a royal. Yeah, gold oh, and purple. Blue and purple and a breastplate with with the stones and jewels and cords and notice his uniform on the Day of Atonement. Plain. Linen. White linen. What, what was the difference? Well, what do you think this symbolized? Humble. Humility. Humility. Even the high priest, normally dressed like a king, Enter into God's presence, he must humble himself. And he would look more like a what? A slave than a king. Right? Plain white linen. And then he's this is this is all preparation. One through ten is all the preparation for the day of atonement. He bathed his bat his, his body to symbolize pure purity and water. Uh, then in verse uh, five and six. He takes from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Um, normally, if you remember from Levit Leviticus 4, uh, when uh, sin offerings uh, from the congregation consisted of large cattle, came from your flocks. On the Day of Atonement, there's a, there's a big exception. Not cattle... But two male goats that would be a sin offering offering for the entire congregation, right? Um, verse six. So then he shall bring near the bull for the a sin offering, which is for himself, and he may that that he may take make atonement for himself, for and for his household. Okay, that's number two, right? Number two. The second reference in chapter 16 of Aaron the high priest needing uh, an offering for his own sin and for his own family. That's twice, okay? Uh, we continue, uh, verse 7. Uh, so, so he, verse 6, he takes the bowl for his own offering to make atonement for himself and his family. And according to, to, to Jewish tradition, the high priest would pray this following prayer. O oh God, I have committed iniquity, transgressed, and sinned before thee, I and my house. O oh God, forgive the iniquities and transgressions and sins which I have committed and transgressed and sinned before thee, I and my house, as it is written in the law of thy uh, servant Moses. And then he quotes Leviticus 16.30. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you, for all your sins shall you be clean before the Lord. So, uh, some general preparations, and then we, we, we continue with the preparations in verses uh, 7 through 9, where he uh, prepares the sin offering for the people. 
Um, and he takes two goats, he presents them before the tent of the meeting. So here we go, just to, just to give you some uh, visual of these two goats. And he takes them, they meet right here. They meet right here before the tent of meeting. He has the two goats, he has the bull. Um, and then in verse 8, there are two lots. One lot for Yahweh, one lot for the scapegoat. Uh, I don't know exactly how they did it, but there would be one goat who would be sacrificed. Verse nine, uh, that goat would be would be killed. The blood of that goat would be sprinkled inside the holy place. But in verse ten, the second goat, depending on where the lots fell, where the dice fell, the second goat would be that was freed would be called the scapegoat. The scapegoat. Um, what is what is verse 10? Uh, what is it called, the, the goat in verse 10 in Evo's translation? Um, can you just read verse 10? Verse 10. Of the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat. Okay, that's scapegoat. So that's the traditional translation. There's a lot of debate on the, that Hebrew word, azalel, uh, the, Septu, the Septuagint, uh, the Vulgate, some rabbinic sources, they all uh, def, uh, translate that Hebrew word scapegoat. Uh, that, that, fir, that, that word first uh, appeared in Tyndale's English translation in 1530, and, and that word what, found its way in the English language, right? If you, scapegoat is kind of common vernacular, but you first saw that word in Tyndale's Bible. Um, in Spanish, you... <clears throat> I got two translations here. Okay. In Spanish it says Azalel. Oh, okay. It's the literal Hebrew. Good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So both of them say Azalel. Azalel. Okay. okay. Good. Good. So there's a lot of debate. Some uh, think it's the area to which the goat eventually went to. Some think it, it's a, a word that refers to a, a devil, a demon. Because, you know, when you go, remember, uh, the tabernacle represents the garden. And outside the tabernacle is a, a, a symbol of wilderness, chaos, evil spirits. And so the, the scapegoat kind of goes out uh, into the, the evil spirits. And so, uh, or, it, or it's referring to actually what it symbolizes. The, 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 the goat is taking away the sins from the people. Uh, most, so most people think it's, it's, it's scapegoat. And, 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 it's, and it symbolizes, everybody agrees that it symbolizes this goat that is free it symbolizes the sins of the Israelites. They have been removed, and they will never visit them again. Go, go back to verse 5 and notice, notice in verse 5, the two male goats are described as one sin offering, right? It's singular. Two male goats for one sin offering, even though one is killed and one is set free. And so this purification offering of the two goats, it's, it's meant to show two sides of the atonement. Atonement purifies us, number one, and atonement also removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. So there is a purification when atonement is made, and there is expiation, that's what we call uh, having our sins removed from us, expiation when atonement is made, or when God forgives us. Now, we have evidence in rabbinic sources that when the high priest would choose these two goats, they would be identical in appearance. Well, one Jewish short source says this about the two goats, quote, the two goats of Yom Kippur uh, is in a mitzvah uh, that, that they may be equal in appearance, height, value, and be bought at the same time. It's as if the two goats are seen as one goat accomplishing two different aspects of atonement. So they would need to look the same, right? Um, one goat dies for our purification. One goat removes our sin, expiation. One, uh, the, the, the one atonement, uh, one atonement cleanses us from sin's pollution and it removes our guilt. And so, move to point number two, and, and now the, the high priest will, will make the offering. Will make the offering. 
Uh, he will purify the sanctuary, uh, all the defilement, the tabernacle has, has, has accumulated throughout the year, right? All these unclean animals falling, touching everything, and all these people who lied about whether they ate kosher food, all these people who were secretly eating bacon, you know, and defiling the sanctuary. Um, now the high priest will purify the sanctuary. Uh, for verse 11, first, what does he do? Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his household, right? Number three, right? That's the third reference of the high priest needing to bring an offering for his own sin. And so he slaughters the bull of the sin offering, uh, which is for himself. There's the fourth time, right? Four times. Do uh, you, you think that Moses is emphasizing something? Yeah. The high priest needs to bring an offering for his own sin. That's four times already in 11 verses. Um, verse 12, verse 12, he takes a fireman, a firepan full of coals of fire from upon the altar before Yahweh and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and, and, and brings it inside the veil. He goes inside the holy place now and then he puts the incense on the fire before Yahweh so that the cloud of incense would cover the mercy seat that is not on the ark of the testimony, so that he will not die. And so I think, based on this, the, what this what the strange fire might have been was his sons entering in and not having the right incense. And that incense, that cloud, would scholars think would protect them from seeing the holy God and not dying. So you have this cloud of incense, and... Um, it's uh, covering the it's covering the uh, the mercy seat, and then in verse fourteen, the high priest uh, sprinkles blood on the mercy seat, and this is the most uh, this is the most important part of the ritual. This is the most the most unique feature of Yom Kippur and the Day of Atonement is when the priest takes the blood of the bull. And, and, and he sprinkles it with his finger on the mercy seat, eight times total, once on the east side, and then seven times on the other, other side. Um, and this, uh, this ark, it says, in front of the mercy seat, and uh, uh, before, in verse 13, it said the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony. So you have the ark. What is the testimony? What is the, what is the testimony? The testimony was inside the ark, and it was the stone tablets, right? So the ark of the of the of the of the of the Ten Commandments. And what else was in what else was in the ark besides the two stone tablets that had the Ten Commandments? Aaron's rod. Okay. Okay. What else was in the the ark? The snake. Uh, no, the, 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 the rod was there, but there was no snake. The manna. Good. And if you remember the stories of the commandments, the, ten, the, the tablets, especially the commandments and the manna, uh, later on in Numbers you see Aaron's rod. What, 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 what's the common theme of the, of the stories that surround the Ten Commandments and the manna? What, what is, what's the common theme in those stories? What's the common theme? Rebellion, right? Rebellion. Sinfulness. So within the ark, there was these reminders of sin. And so, the mercy seat that covers the ark, that covers the sin would now be atoned for, right? This, the sin within the ark is now being atoned by the blood of the sacrifice. And the cherubim looking down, they look at the mercy seat, they look at the blood covering the mercy seat, and they would see evidence of Israel's unfaithfulness, right? The, 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 the tablets, the, the manna, the the Aaron's rod, but they would also see what? The blood symbolizing the mercy of God, the grace of God, 
the atonement of you know the the atonement the blood atonement of God, right? The cherubim are looking down at this amazing sight of what 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 God is doing for His people. Well, we move through uh, in, in fifteen through uh, point number three, the purification for the for the uh, tabernacle. Um, and before we move on, verse fourteen. He takes the blood of the bull. That, that's for his own sin, right? So that's the fifth reference to the sin offering that the priest needs to offer him for himself. And now we look at in 15 through 19, uh, the, taber- the entire uh, tabernacle is purified. He slaughters the, now he slaughters the goat that, that's for the people. He brings that blood inside the veil. He does the same thing he did with the blood of the bull for his own sin. It's sprinkled on the mercy seat. And what 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 is the atonement made for? Verse 16. Atonement is made for the holy place. Uh, the tabernacle is what? A reset button. A, a reboot. A reboot. Why does it need to be rebooted? Why does the tabernacle need to be cleansed? Verse 16. Because of the uncleanness of the sons of Israel. And because of their transgressions. And he shall do for the tent of meeting, which abides with them in the midst of their uncleanness. Um, in order for God to, to be present with them, this the entire tabernacle needs to be cleansed. And then, uh, so you get the, the, the inner holy place is cleansed uh, ceremonially, right? And then the... Uh, uh, he goes in make his home in the uh, holy place. Uh, no one shall be in the tent of meeting that he may make atonement for himself and for his household and for all the assembly of, of Israel. Verse seventeen. So the so the inner holy place is atoned for. The tent of meeting is atoned for. Look at verse eighteen. Then he shall go out of the altar that is before Yahweh and make atonement for the altar. The altar right there. The altar of sacrifice just outside the tent of meeting. Uh, he takes the blood of the bull for his own sin. That's the fifth reference to his sin. The blood of the goat, the goat for the people. And he shall put it on the horns, the four corners of the altar of sacrifice to cleanse that. And um, what, do you, what do you notice in that cleansing? Do you notice the direction? It goes from what? East to west, right? Cleansing in the most holy place. Cleansing the tent of meeting. Cleansing in the altar of sacrifice, right? Uh, inside out cleansing and so throughout the year what would happen throughout the year how would the tabernacle how would the tabernacle be defiled in what direction would the defiling come right it would come from east to west as the people would come in and defile the uh, tabernacle uh, they would they would defile the tabernacle and so the cleansing goes what from west to east, it goes back out. It's like okay, we're cleaning it. We're cleaning everything out. All the defilement, all the uncleanliness, is being is being cleansed inside out. From east to west, from west to east, and then even more so, you see this fur, this further uh, west to east direction because what would happen? The, the one goat, you know, poor, poor little goat got the wrong, wrong roll of the dice. He would die. The live goat would go from, would go even out, extend farther, right? So it's just being pushed out as far the, as far as you can go from west to east. Now we look at the scapegoat. Let's look at the scapegoat scope, scapegoat in verses 20 through 22. You bring near the live goat, and that would be right outside the tent, tent of meeting. And verse 21, Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat, and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel, and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And he shall lay them on the head of the goat, and send it out into the wilderness by the hand of a man ready to do this. If you remember the sin offering, if you remember the sin offering, in chapter 4, um, go to chapter 4, and look at, uh, 
Look at verse, uh, verse 24. chapter 4. Everybody look at verse 4, 24, 29, and 33. Okay? We'll say it again. Everybody look at chapter 4, verse 4. This is for the sin offering. Chapter 4, verse 24, verse 29, and verse 33. And compare the difference between those four references in chapter 16, verse 21. What is the big difference? Uh, okay, okay, uh, one, okay, let me see, uh, is it slaughter? Yeah, it's here, slaughter, okay. That, that's one difference, but there's another difference. One slaughter, good, good. There's another difference. And, and it's not, that's not really different because, the, remember, if you see the two goats, as one goat, one of the goats has already been slaughtered. So it's not really a difference. There's another difference. A slight difference, not a major difference. Look at those references and, and go back to verse 21. It's very explicit. How many hands? One hand versus two hands. Two hands, both hands. So you see this emphasis, right? The high priest. I mean, that would be pretty powerful. Two hands, right? This is the mediator. Aaron mediating for the entire nation. He's dealing with sin in the most thoroughgoing way possible. Even intentional sins are being tra transferred. And according to the Mishnah, as he placed both hands, both, both of his hands upon the scapegoat, he would say this, O God, thy people, the house of Israel, have committed iniquity, transgressed, and sinned before thee. O God, forgive, I pray, the iniquities and transgressions and sins which thy people, the house of Israel, have committed and transgressed and sinned before thee, as it is written in the law of thy servant Moses, that we would quote, quote chapter 16, verse 30, for on this day, shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you for all your sins, shall ye be clean before the Lord, right? That's why I wanted to do this like live, like have a real goat, that, that would be pretty powerful. Uh, but you just have to use your imagination. So, uh, verse uh, 21, he shall lay them on the head of the goat, he sends out the scapegoat, he sends it out into the wilderness, by the hand of a man, ready to do this. So a man takes the goat out, he leads the, the, the scapegoat, he, lead, he leads him out of the tabernacle, they go east, and uh, tradition tells us that this man who would take the scapegoat would basically uh, throw it off the cliff. He would take the, the goat and throw it off the cliff. Why do you think he would do that? Because so that nobody would catch it and eat it. Well, that would be, that'd be even easier. But... Based on the symbolism of the scapegoat, right, is taking away the sins of the is taking away the sins of all the Israelites far away. So why would it, why would the, the goat probably need to be killed? Because if he came back, <laughs> it would be pretty bad, right? You're like ah, our sins are returning, our sins are returning. Right? So uh, the guy needed to make sure the goat didn't come back for the sake of the ceremony. Right, so maybe he tied up, he tied the poor goat to a tree or something, killed it, whatever. He just made sure it never came back because if it came back, uh, it would pretty. I mean, the Day of Atonement, it would pretty much ruin the whole, ruin the whole sex ceremony. What is the? Go ahead. Um, where, where is it written that it has to be killed? It doesn't. It's not written. Tradition, tradition tells us oh, okay. that 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 he, that he probably killed it. The Mishnah, the the okay. Mishnah says that. The man would throw it, throw the scapegoat off of the cliff. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, uh, verse twenty-two. 
and we see the symbolism of it. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an isolated land, and he shall send out the goat in the wilderness. Um, some scholars also see another symbolism, right? If you see one goat entering, the blood of the goat entering into the holy place, and, and that's representing the Garden of Eden, another goat leaving Eden. Some see that uh, a symbol of the Day of Judgment, where he, God separates the goats. One goat is, goes to Eden, one is cast out. Um, that's kind of speculation. On that word bear, that word bear, in verse 22, he shall, the goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities. You see the same verb in Isaiah 53 to refer to Jesus. Surely our griefs he himself bore. You see the same verb in verse 12 of Isaiah 53. Uh, he was numbered with the transgressors that he himself bore the sin of many. So this goat is, uh, is fulfilled in the sacrifice of Christ on the, on the cross. But number five, we, we see the procedures after the, 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 the scapegoat is, is sent out. Uh, the Aaron needs to take off his linen garments. He bathes again. Um, he, he puts on his a normal uniform. And then he, um, he, uh, he comes out. He offers up in smoke the fat of the sin offering on the altar. Uh, the sin offering for himself, right? That's number five, right? Mention it, number five or six. And the one who sent the goat as the scapegoat, he, he comes back because he, he, he touched the scapegoat, right? Uh, so he was defiled, so he needs to wash. and then he's, He needs to wash himself before he comes back into the camp, verse 26. And then in verse 27, the bull of the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, it shall be taken outside the camp, and they shall burn their hides, their flesh, and their refuse in the fire. Go to Hebrews 13, 12. And uh, the writer of Hebrews uh, quotes, it quotes that, that same verse in, in Hebrews 13, 12. <clears throat> Therefore, oh, verse 11, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as an offering for sin, they are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So, uh, the writer of Hebrews takes verse 27, and he says it's fulfilled in Christ. Now we, we get to the very end, verses 9, 29 to 34. After it's all done, how, how many, how, how many, how, how often do they need to do the, the, the Day of Atonement? Every year. Verse 29, a perpetual statute, statute for you. In the seventh month, in the tenth day of the month, you shall humble your souls, not do any work, whether you're a native or sojourner. Um, humble, deny yourselves. Uh, the Jews interpreted that as fasting, and so they would fast on this day. This is the only fast day in, in the Mosaic Law, if that's true. The Mishnah, the Jewish rabbinic uh, 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 commentary, Listed four additional things when it, uh, that they needed to do to humble themselves, and that would be would be to abstain from bathing. To, to, to they couldn't use oil on their body. They couldn't w wear shoes, and there would be no sexual intercourse. And so, verse thirty: For on this day that atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you, and you will be clean from all your sins before Yahweh. Verse thirty-one. It is to be a Sabbath of solemn rest for you. Uh, Eva, what is, what is, could you read your translation from 31? Mm -hmm. It is a day of Sabbath rest, and you must deny yourselves. Okay. It is a lasting ordinance. Okay. So in the Hebrew, I, 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 I really like this. It's, it's basically a Sabbat Sabbaton. Um, the Sabbath of Sabbaths. Mm. The Septuagint uh, translates the phrase, the Sabbath of Sabbath. Sabbata Sabbaton, right? Mm. Uh, a rest of rest, a rest of rest on this day of atonement. Uh, this is pointing to the ultimate rest 
that Christ gives us uh, when he fulfills the day of atonement with his own blood. Um, verse 33, there's a, there, he, he kind of uh, summarizes everything. Um, what is atonement made for? There's five objects of atonement on this, on this, on Yom Kippur. Atonement is first made for the holy sanctuary, atonement for the tent of meeting, for the altar, the entire tabernacle, right? That's the primary purpose of the Day of Atonement, to uh, cleanse the tabernacle from sin, and also for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. Uh, you shall have this a perpetual uh, a statute to make atonement for the sons of Israel for all their sins once every year, and just as Yahweh commanded Moses, so he did. Uh, so, uh, again, okay. atonement for the entire sanctuary, uh, for the entire tabernacle. If the tabernacle represents the world, the, the entire cosmos, it, it represents uh, a future day when where Christ will uh, cleanse the entire universe um, from sin. Right? That's what uh, Colossians is, is talking about. Go to Colossians. Remember what Colossians says. So a lot of people uh, get tripped up by this. It says... Uh, Through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, right? A reconciliation of the entire entire universe. And you see that prefigured in the in the cleansing of the tabernacle. Which chapter? Chapter one, one uh, verse twenty. When well, you say the whole universe will be cleansed, what is hell going to be? Uh, the entire uh, physical universe. Oh, okay. The entire physical universe. Because right now the entire physical universe is still tainted with sin, right? When sin entered the world, it affected the entire universe. And when Christ returns, when God returns his presence, in order for his presence to remain with us, the entire universe will be cleansed. And Christ's death has satisfied that. Now, what is, uh, what is this... This imperfect system point to. Uh, go to Hebrews, go to the book of Hebrews, <laughs> Hebrews 9, Hebrews chapter 9. <clears throat> yep, uh, Hebrews 9. And then you have uh, the old covenant, the first covenant. In verse 6, when these things are repaired, the priests are continually entering the first part of the tabernacle, performing the divine worship, verse 7, but into the second, into the holy place. Only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself or the, and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance, right? It's a, it's a reboot. There's sins that they did in ignorance, and so it needs to be rebooted. And uh, it happens every year. Uh, it's this continuous process. Why? Um, the Holy Spirit is indicating this, that the way into the holy places has not yet been manifested while that first part of the tabernacle is still standing, which is symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gift and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience, since they relate only to food and drink and various washings required for the body imposed until the time of reformation. That old reboot was, was flawed. It was incomplete. Uh, it was pointing to something more perfect. And what was this more perfect tabernacle that it was pointing to? Verse 11. But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater or and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, 
not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of flesh, if it was this temporary cleansing, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offer himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since the death has taken place for the redemption of the trespasses that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Um, so he talks about a, a new covenant, a, a sprinkling. Um, verse 23, verse 24, For Christ did not enter the holy place made with hands, mere copies of the true ones, uh, verse 24, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself uh, often as the high priest enters holy places year by year, with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now at the consummates of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin for the sacrifice of himself. And uh, Christ uh, died once. Uh, verse 11, um, he, continu he continues to talk about this fulfillment of uh, the, taber the tabernacle. Um and so, when Jesus enters into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God, what does he do? It's a final reboot. He institutes a new system, a new system of worship. And this new system is a fulfillment of the old system, but it's not like the old system, because why? Once Jesus enters into the holy place, what's the new system? For us, like, what's Once now, more. yes, but now we can enter into the presence of God. Not once a year, but anytime we want, right? So Christ, uh, he, he restarts the system. He hits the holy of holy buttons. And, uh, and Levit Leviticus helps us understand the work of Christ and what he did when he died, right? And so, this is elementary stuff. <clears throat> Chapter 16 helps us understand the mechanics of what Jesus did when he died and brought his own blood into, uh, the, Father's, uh, into, the, in the, into the Father's presence to make a way for us. And uh, it's kind of like <coughs> when God was uh, trying to, he was... He knows the plan that that Jesus, what Jesus would do, and he 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 creates this tabernacle system to help us understand it, the fulfillment of it.